This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thanks for joining us as we continue with our series, Five Cups of Coffee. Today's message is about passion. The prophet Micah, in chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, invites us to stretch our faith as we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. And now, here's Martha with our message. Our scripture reading today is Micah 6, 6 through 8, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. is too big or too small, in the words of Camille Rainey. Camille shared with us a passion that she has to get books in small hands. The first time I heard her say that, my heart skipped a beat because I'm a big reader. And many of us take for granted the fact that we, many of us, are able to afford books and have books, but not all children do. We are in the third week of a sermon series entitled Five Cups of Coffee, in which we've been having or guiding ourselves through five conversations about finding or discovering or living into our calling as followers of Jesus. Today's topic of conversation is about passion, our passions. How many of you are puzzle workers, like to work puzzles, and it's wintertime, aren't you guys? It's not wintertime yet, but it's almost, it's almost puzzle time. Okay, if you don't like puzzles, how about, or even if you don't like this, maybe you remember it, those uh, paint by numbers or color by numbers, you know, where all the reds you color, or excuse me, all the number twos you color red or all the number threes you color yellow. Do you remember those? Even if you didn't, and they're, they're, then there are some that you actually have to solve a math equation to figure out the number. I don't like those. So even if you're not a paint by number or a color by number, you probably remember those connect the dots. You remember that you could connect the dots, you go to one, two, three, and eventually in all of those things, a puzzle, a color by number, a connect the dots, the purpose is that eventually a picture begins to emerge. An image begins to emerge. Now, most of us probably have a pretty good idea of what the color by number looks like, but a picture begins to emerge. This particular series, this five cups of coffee and the conversations that we're having works a whole lot like those puzzles or paint by numbers or connect the dots. Because each topic, each sermon, each sermon and each topic begins to build on each other. It makes for really long sermons, by the way. But each topic builds on the other until we begin to connect the dots and a picture begins to emerge. A picture of what it would look like our individual roles in, in the universal church, in the kingdom of God, and also in a local church, because we all have a role to play. 
We began this journey, the first leg of the journey, looking at Moses and the idea of listening to or listening for God. We saw in the story of Moses that he saw this strange sight of a bush that burned but didn't actually burn up. And so Moses turned aside and he saw this and then God began to speak to him. Now, most of us are not going to hear an audible voice. We think, we assume that Moses heard God speak in an audible voice that he heard with his ears, but we don't know that for sure. But what we saw with the story of Moses is that we have to pay attention. That we can encounter God, because Moses was just on the job. He was a shepherd, that was his job. He was at work in the office that day. What we saw with Moses is that we have to pay attention to those holy ground moments. Holy ground moments aren't necessarily somewhere that we go out into the wilderness, but can happen in everyday conversations with people, in our interactions with people, circumstances, songs. Things begin to happen, and if we pay attention, a theme might emerge, what I call those nudges from God. So the first step in this journey is listening to or for God, sort of paying attention. Then last week we got to a bit more of a technical topic when we talk about this idea of spiritual gifts. There are three places in the Bible, actually four, in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul actually lists some specific gifts that every follower of Jesus has. Now the gifts that are listed in the Bible are not exhaustive. There are way more than the 20 or so that we find in the Bible. In fact, we sent you home with some homework last week to take an assessment, to to reveal, begin to think about where your own gifts are. And I've heard from several of you who have gifts in administration and wisdom and discernment and teaching and serving and all other things. The point is this. No one single gift is more important than another. They all work together to help build this image that we're talking about. They all work together, and they are all tangible ways that we live out God's love in action in the world. So today we begin to connect those dots, looking at listening for God to speak, discovering what our gifts are, and talking today about what our passions are. Those passions that we have to some degree. Those passions that we have are just those things that, for many of us, are just the way we're wired. Some of us are artistic. Some of us are not. Some of us enjoy being around people. Some of us don't. Some of us are are left-brained people. Some of us are right-brained people. But all of those things begin to contribute to our passions. They're very similar to our gifts in that they're just kind of the way we're wired. And they're the things that we use to contribute to and live out our faith in the world. Now, there are two schools of thought typically when it comes to this faith journey. One is that our faith is just a private endeavor. That all that matters is our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is true. It is about a relationship with Jesus. That is true. But there's a little bit of an extreme that we can take that mindset to. There's a song, it's a um, a 2006 country song by a young man named Josh Turner. It's called Me and God. 
Does anybody remember that? I don't listen to country music. But here are some of the words. There ain't nothing that, that can't be done by me and God. Early in the morning, talking it over, me and God. Late at night, talking it over, me and God. You could say we're like two peas in a pod, me and God. The emphasis on me and God and just our relationship is only half of the story. Me and God, Christianity, makes Christianity easy. Because if all I have to worry about is my relationship with God, me and God, I forget that we're called to serve in the world. Me and God mentality means we don't have to change anything about ourselves. But then there's a second school of thought that takes it a little bit to the other extreme that teaches that our faith is all about action, that our faith is all about doing the right things, being an activist for social justice causes, we might say. The danger in making our faith all about action is that we divorce it from our personal relationship with Jesus. We can begin to care more about the causes than we actually care about the people affected by the issues. So what do we do? Well, it just so happens that that's what the prophet Micah was trying to address in this particular scripture. The last verse of what we read, Micah 6, 8, is one of those most commonly quoted scriptures it's one of those scriptures that even if you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, you've probably heard the phrase, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. It's what I like to call one of those refrigerator verses. One of those things that we put on a magnet on the refrigerator or we may have a, a painting or an image of it in our home. It's often quoted to support that social, social justice-oriented Christianity but there's more at stake in this particular scripture than just action. It's a heart issue. To fully understand what Micah was trying to say to the people, the ancient people, we have to understand the context. Now, Micah is what we call a minor prophet, not minor in the fact that what he had to say wasn't important. What he had to say was very important. But we have major prophets and minor prophets. And they're only labeled as such by how much writing we have of them in the Bible. For example, if you were to flip over to Jeremiah, we have a bigger portion of his writing, but he was the most unpopular prophet in the Old Testament. When compared to Micah, we have just a few pages. But the prophet Micah wrote in the 8th century BCE, which is before the Common Era, which is about 700, give or take, years before the birth of Jesus. The book of Micah is actually written sort of like a divine drama, a divine courtroom drama. It's almost a liturgical response of call to worship. Go home and read it and, you, and you'll see. It's almost like there's a conversation emerging between God and the people to whom Micah wrote. The people at the time, actually the, the book of Micah begins with the people grumbling at God. They're mad at God. They had been delivered through Moses out of slavery into the promised land. And for several hundred years, life was going really well. Their kingdom was growing. They were prosperous. They conquered all of the other kingdoms around them. And life was really good. 
But eventually they began to do what we 21st century people call backsliding. They began to forsake the way that God had told them to live. So much so that they ended up with a civil war between them. The kingdoms split. Other kingdoms came in and conquered them. And quite frankly, at the time that Micah wrote, they were in a hot mess. And so they were mad at God. They're crying out to God, asking, why? Why have you done this to us? Why have you forsaken us? You said you would be with us. Why are you, God, doing this to us? And in that poetic divine drama, Micah speaks on behalf of God. And using some 21st century vernacular, God basically says, hold the presses. I didn't do this. You did. You did this to yourself. And so the people say, okay, okay, okay. Well, what do we do to get out of this? What is required? Which is where they come into this ancient language and they begin to ask, do we need to bring year-old calves as a burnt offering? Is that what it's going to take, God? Do we need to bring a thousand rams to sacrifice? Will that do the trick? Or how about if we bring 10,000 rivers of oil? And then in an almost facetious, sarcastic way, they say, do you want our firstborn? Will that do it? Is that what it's going to take? Each time they ask a question, it escalates in value. They're trying to earn their way back into God's good graces. They're basically saying, what is it? What do we have to do? that will make all of this trouble go away. And God's response to them is, I've already told you what is good. I've already told you what is required. Which is where Micah writes, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. But those are actions that originate from the heart. They had failed to do that because their heart had failed to follow what God wanted them to do. So they're trying to earn it. The mandate for justice to act justly isn't about revenge. We tend to think of the word justice being about revenge, an eye for an eye, an Old Testament scripture. That is not what the prophet Micah is talking about. He's talking about making things right, restoring people into a right relationship, almost a reconciling. There was a constant theme in the Old Testament of caring for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the outcast, over and over and over again. They were told to care for these people, and they began to not. Doing justice is about advocating for others, others who cannot advocate for themselves. The mandate to love kindness, or some translations say love mercy, is very similar to that concept that we have in the New Testament, a self-sacrificing love, love in action. This goes back to the gifts that we talked about last week, that our gifts are tangible representations of God's love. They are ways that we use God's grace or put God's grace into action in the world. And then the third one that Micah tells them is to walk humbly. 
And that may very well be the hardest one of the three and the one on which all of the other two hinge. Because if we walk humbly with God, that means we put ourselves in the back seat. That means our own needs, our opinions, our thoughts take a back seat to what God wants. It means that we give of ourselves even when we don't feel like it. It means that what we say and think becomes smaller than what God says and thinks. So what does all of that have to do with our passions? One of my dear friends or deceased friends and mentors, G.W. Bowles, always taught me, if you want to find meaning, you have to get out of yourself and get busy serving someone else. If we are called to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly, our passions are ways that we can do just that. Our passions are ways that we can live out our calling. Our passions are those things that excite us, those things that disturb us. Camille shared about books when she realized that not every children or every child is able to have a book that bothered her. Our passions are the things that come from our experiences, both our good experiences and our bad experiences. Our passions are the things that we enjoy doing. Wouldn't it be just like God to give us something we enjoy doing that we could actually put to work in the kingdom of God? We said last week that serving is not drudgery. It should bring us joy. It should challenge us, yes, and it may challenge us outside of our comfort zone. But our passions are those things that fire us up. Our passions do not have to take us to the other side of the world. If you feel a calling to go to the other side of the world and serve hungry children, by all means go. But for most of us, it's going to be something that we do right here in everyday life. It could be as simple as books. It could be as simple as your experience of divorce to help others. There are those who have experience with abortion that can help those struggling with it. Your grief, your loss, God can put that to use. Do you have a passion for children, for serving elderly? We all have a passion. It's that sweet spot where we can put ourselves to use in God's kingdom. Now, you golfers, you know what the sweet spot is. I used to golf. I don't anymore. That's another story. But you golfers know what the sweet spot is on the golf club, right? You only know when you've hit that sweet spot when. When the ball goes straight and the ball goes far. That sweet spot on the golf club. It's usually right in the center, just below the, the midline. It's the spot where when it makes contact with the ball. The biggest amount of energy is projected onto the ball, and there it goes. And you only know it when you see where the ball goes. Our passions connected with our gifts, connected with hearing and listening to God speak are the sweet spot of how we can serve in God's kingdom. And every single one of us 
as a gift, several actually, a passion, several actually. God has a role for us. I left you with a question last week. The question that I left you with was, what makes you feel alive? You remember that question? I'm still not going to answer the question for me because that was a question that was put to me. And I'm not going to answer it because only you can answer that for yourself. What makes you feel most alive? What is your passion? What is God saying to you about your passion and your gifts? Where is it that God is working within you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we continue in worship, I invite you to stand. We join our voices together in an affirmation of faith. If you do do not feel led to say these words, that's okay. But as you do say these words, for those of you who feel called and led to do so, may they be more than just words. We say these words with our voice so that they begin to transform us on the inside and remind us that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. So I invite you to join me in an affirmation of faith. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the word made flesh, to reconcile and make new who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to live with respect in creation, to love and serve others, to seek justice, resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope in life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we continue in worship and singing, you are also invited to respond. We respond in many ways. We respond by the giving of God's tithes and our offerings. Those of you who are giving, you know what happens is the change happens within you. It's not so much that God needs money but we need the transformation that happens within. And so thank you for all of you who are doing so. You are invited to respond. You may text to give, or there is a box at the back of the worship center as you leave. But I invite you to join your hearts and your minds in song, in giving, or in prayerful reflection.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us again next week as we continue our worship series, Five Cups of Coffee. See you then.